you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. He turns, he fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Back to Bibby, has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, Mr. Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse Podcast and the Kings Herald. Brendan, what's going on? Not all too much, James. Uh, third podcast of the day for me. Oh, man. I've been through those days. Uh, podcasts and radio days, uh, the days where I've got one coming up where I think I'm on all day long with, with Kenny... Um, and then I'll probably have to podcast. Yeah. Uh, this is that time of the season where things are getting a little dicey and you're going to get pulled a million different directions at once. Uh, today, today's podcast is running late because Brendan and I, um, after covering a really late game, a seven thirty start that bled into, you know, uh, media availability until like well after 11 at the arena, then the Kings decided to have practice practice today, which is unusual, but it mis- uh, disrupted our day and kind of set us back, right? It did. Uh, yeah, it was a little different. I was surprised that we had practice today when they told us yesterday. Um, but it was good, you know. Um, and, and things are getting a little bit more back to normal. Like, we don't have to it, – it, there's not the same COVID regulations quite in place fully the same way, at least. Yeah, uh, we're allowed to be in the room without our masks on for the first time. Which is which is interesting, you know. I like I miss it, um, and I, I think it's led us to um, like when the masks are down, you feel more comfortable with. Uh, like I, I had a couple of like quiet one on ones today, which is very different. It's something we haven't had in in a couple of years, really. I had not seen it. Today was the first day where, after all the scrums at practice, it kind of broke into some one-on-ones. And I was like, all right, this is what it is, I guess. This is what it looks like. No, and it's good. It's a good learning process for you because you haven't seen that before. Um, And uh, we'll get to some of the content from that a little bit later. Uh, But I I think it's it's definitely like we're progressing. We're we're letting – we're letting – uh, Brandon see a little bit more and more and more of the media world as we get through this season. I think it's fun. It, it It's good that you're not having to take it all in in one heavy dose at one time. 
It is. I, I've gotten uh, in a smooth transition into it in multiple ways. The the way that we do post game pressers and uh, not having pregame in the locker room is is definitely not as intimidating. There is a weird like I, I think it's just a social thing in general of it's it, it, I'm less anxious when I have the bottom half of my face covered for some reason or like when I can't see the bottom half of everyone else's face like it it was I don't know that makes it a little easier at first and like transition after like for example there's a media relations guy that looks mean but I didn't know he looked mean until there wasn't masks anymore which one looks mean? It's just Alex. Alex, the other day, he took his mask off, and I was like, this guy looks, like, kind of mean. But Alex is the nicest person in the world. <laughs> Alex is a big softie. That's awesome. Uh, oh, that makes me laugh. Um, yeah, it, it is fun. You know what? Like, uh, we had a good media day today. I'll be honest with, with everyone out there. We had a lot of media for the fact that it was, like, a Tuesday morning practice. So there was me and Brendan and Frankie, uh, the legendary Sam Amick showed up, uh, you know, Fox 40 had a cameraman and, um, their new sports director, Chris showed up. Um, we had the ringer. Oh yeah. Yeah. We had the ringer, um, there of course. Um, yeah, like we had, we had good, uh, a good turnout, I, I think for just a random, uh, Tuesday, uh, you know, it, it's different. It's different because we haven't been dealing with crowds for a long time when it comes to the media world. But I think everyone kind of felt like, you know, this was one of those opportunities they could show up and, and maybe get a little bit of time with people. And of course, Logan Murdoch from, from the ringer, Logan, uh, who has like made this crazy career for himself, who started as an intern at, uh, at 1530, the news station in Sacramento, his mom, I, I believe, has worked there forever. And um, so years and years ago, Logan would show up and just record audio. He wouldn't even ask questions. Uh, and and now he literally has one of the most successful podcasts uh, for The Ringer. I mean, he gets some of the, the biggest, like, music icons you can possibly get. And uh, really cool to see his, his growth as, as a person. Yeah, uh, Logan seems nice. I haven't had the most interactions, but just pulled up his his Twitter page, and the first thing is an interview with uh, on his podcast with Mark Cuban. So prime example. Yeah, but he's had uh, I mean he's had some big big name guests, huge 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 guests. It's different. Like we're a niche podcast for the Sacramento market, where we're really focused on the Sacramento Kings. Um, we could do other podcasts and, and expand out and do like more pop culture stuff and, and all kinds of different things. But uh, to be honest with you, I, I like to focus on the Kings, at least for this, uh, what we're doing here. Um, let's get to the business stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, sweatshirts and stuff. All, all the Kings merch, uh, the Kings beat merch is out there. Um, I'm super excited to see people posting on, on social media. Uh, start taking some pictures of yourself wearing the Kings Beat merch and, and put it out there. I know Jill Adge just uh, just did got her uh, sweatshirt in the mail. I think it's happy birthday, birthday Jill. By yeah, the way, happy birthday! Um, so that was awesome to see out there. Um, we are doing a promo code right now. It is um, you can find it in the description on the YouTube channel. Uh, it's KB Podcast, uh, capital K, capital B, K, 
capital P in podcast. Um, and that gets you 15% off your merchandise right now. Um, but I'm super excited because that's going crazy. And uh, Brandon, there's so much more to doing merch if you do the merch yourself than I ever expected. So like, like I literally had to buy scale. I had to buy like bags. I had to buy um, a thermal printer. Um, so like I, I like pre-package everything. I had to get all these different, like I had to get a, like a sales permit and then I have to, like, I had to get a P.O. box because I don't want people getting my address when I'm sending stuff out. Um, like, it's been, a, it's been a bit of a trip, but I'm excited to see the merch out there. Um, and, and, you know, people are seem really excited about the, the white uh, sweatshirt in particular. Um, but I, it's fun. I, like, I, I'm enjoying that process, and uh, we're going to expand. We'll have more stuff coming up and all that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, quite the business. Yeah, you got uh, scales and bags. I don't know what what business you're in here, James, but I guess it's going well. Yeah, I well, it is what it is at this point. <laughs> uh, which is didn't uh, Alvin Gentry tell us today? He doesn't like that term, but it is what it is. Yeah, I, I found that humorous. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, we have uh, we've announced the next. Uh, off the record with the Kings beat virtual happy hour part four infectious infectious disease control. Uh, the legendary Scott Moak will be joining the happy hour. Um, and for those of you who don't know who Scott Moak is, you're crazy. He's the PA announcer. He is the voice inside the arena of the Sacramento Kings, but he's also an absolutely tremendous storyteller. And I'm excited uh, to get him in the seat for the happy hour because I think he's going to be uh, as good a guest as we've gotten. Uh, people who don't know Scott, um, he really is uh, a very, very good storyteller, and he's got some crazy stuff. He's been sitting there courtside for, I think it's almost 20 years, watching everything unfold on the court. He has a, a bird's-eye view. He's just sitting right there. Uh, he has, he hears everything, he sees everything. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. And so that's for premium members of the King's Beat. If you're not a premium member of the King's Beat, jump on board. Uh, it's uh, set for March 24th from 5.30 to 7.30. We do not record. It is off the record with the King's Beat virtual happy hour part four, infectious disease control. Uh, all right, let's get to this. Um, Sacramento Kings. We're on a two-game losing streak, Brendan, but it kind of feels like it's longer than that, and I kind of feel like it's going to be longer than that uh, when you look at the schedule that's coming up. And I think it feels like it's longer than that because the Kings keep finding ways to blow 19- and 20-point leads, and they were able to survive one of those games, but the last two they were not able to. Just uh, what are your, your quick thoughts on, like, how does this keep happening? And what was your takeaway from the conversations at practice today at the game the other night um, about this? Because it seems to be a trend and, and it's been discussed pretty, you know, like quite a bit at practice and, and during post game. Yeah. I think point one is that uh, the shooting is still very apparent and being acknowledged very much so. Um, I, I mean, we're asking a lot of questions about it, but to hear pretty much everybody say we're getting good looks, we just have to make them, to me, 
is just further proving that the team is not good enough at shooting, um, which I think has been very apparent. And I think a lot of what you're seeing is at halftime, the opposition deciding that they're going to pack the paint a little harder or double team one of Fox or Sabonis. And the Kings are unable to punish those defensive decisions because they can't hit shots. Um, but I think that uh, while we've also heard that, that sometimes they get a little sloppy, like we talked about in uh, the Pelicans game was kind of gross the entire way around, but in the way that their offense kind of developed into poor decision-making as things started to go downhill, I think sometimes we see that a little bit with this team um, in these last few games uh, as they've kind of blown leads. But also it's pretty telling that, um, you know, we hear that, the other team is making halftime adjustments that are, are really making a big difference. And meanwhile, uh, Sacramento is somehow regressing. You know, I think some of it has to do with the subpar shooting that doesn't do you any favors when you're trying to optimize your main two guys with Fox and Sabonis. But at the same time, um, it seems like the opposition gets to better actions and better schemes or defensive coverages for them. And meanwhile, the Kings go away from what works for them. So, um, you know, all these talks about they're adjusting well and, and we're adjusting poorly makes you think of coaching a little bit, right? Yeah, I think it makes me think of coaching, but I think it also makes me believe that um, this team just isn't number one playing well enough uh, as a whole. And number two, guys have to step up like, and they know it. Like that's kind of what I, I keep grasping at straws with these guys, because you can't just keep missing shots. I, I guess you can. And the oh, you Kings, definitely can. Yeah. And the Kings <laughs> don't have anyone else to turn to. I mean, that's part of the problem. So when I look at, I, I don't want to just say, Hey, like Alvin, like you need to do better because Alvin doesn't shoot the ball. Alvin doesn't get that opportunity. I kind of feel like if Alvin was given the opportunity, he might shoot more than like 23% or more than like one of seven from three, one of eight from three, one of nine from three. Those are numbers that we keep seeing pop up again and again and again from these guys. And at some point, like guys have to actually step up and hit shots. And I think the one thing when it comes to coaching that, you know, you and I discuss, but like we haven't really asked Alvin yet is, why is it always like the same three guys that are standing at the same spot on the floor missing all of these shots? And uh, again, Dante DiVincenzo started to hit threes a little bit at a little bit higher clip, right? Um, but Justin Holiday, Davion Mitchell, we're seeing a lot of misses from this group of three, uh, night in and night out. They're, every once in a while, one of them will have this breakout game, but overall, that's not what we're seeing. And I just keep wondering to myself, why is it that you can't switch players around in different positions on the floor and have a guy like, I don't know, Harrison Barnes, who is a knockdown three-point shooter and like developing into one of the best three-point shooters like uh, percentage-wise in the league. Why is he not just sliding over into those, uh, you know, elbow extended areas or, you know, like there, there's all above the break there. There's a lot of opportunity here, I think for just like some tweaks that would change who is actually shooting the ball in those situations, because we're almost to a point where 
you can double team Fox, you can double team uh, Sabonis, and you can have one guy guard the other three guys because they're not hitting anything. Yeah, it's tough. Um, and Harrison is – those other three guys are not shooting very well. I think Dante has started to shoot a lot better. He's, he's done well yeah. over these last five games. And now that we actually have a decent sample size, I, I pulled the numbers since it's been 10 games with Dante now. It's been 11 uh, with Sabonis and, and the other two. But in the 10 with Dante, 38 uh, catch-and-shoot three-point attempts. He's made 17 of them. That's 44%. And he has 16 pull-up attempts. He's only made two of them. It's 12%. Um, his career numbers are nowhere near that drastic of a difference between catch-and-shoot and pull-ups. But I think it's back to the eye test that we've seen that sometimes I get a little bit of buddy healed PTSD with some of these pull-up attempts with DiVincenzo. But off the catch, he's a really good shooter. You know, like even just seeing him at some of these shoot-arounds practices, like when he's standing and catching, he hits a lot of threes. Um, I do think that he is a really good three-point shooter, but needs to be in rhythm, a spot-up catch-and-shoot, I think is the best case for him. And we still haven't, you know, it's still far too early to say he's an elite three-point shooter even if he's shooting what that 44 percent on catch and shoot it's 10 games you need to see more of a sample of that but i like the i can find some optimism there to to believe and um so him justin holiday and and davion definitely need to step it up and be more consistent but harrison for me is is the guy that like you're saying like he could be more directly involved in actions um at the same time I think it's a combination of both that the coaching staff could do a better job of making sure Harrison is involved, but Harrison could also take matters into his own hands a little bit sometimes. Um, you know, like it's unacceptable to me that in these 11 games that the Kings have played since Sabonis has been a part of the team, Harrison Barnes is sixth in the team in three-point attempts, 3.5 per game. He's making 52% of them, but the guys above that, there's nobody shooting above 35%. Like Justin Holiday, 6.9 attempts, 28%. DiVincenzo, 5.5 attempts, 34%. 4.5 attempts from De'Aaron Fox at 32%. De'Aaron Fox is third in three-point attempts on this team. Um, and then you have Jeremy Lamb, 4.2, 28%. Davion Mitchell, 3.8 attempts, 26%. And then you finally reach Harrison Barnes, 3.5 attempts per game from three, 52%. So it's always interesting because Harrison Barnes, you look at the end of the night, he always has a phenomenal stat line, it feels like. But so much of it happens at the beginning of the game, and then it just disappears. Like first half, Harrison Barnes in that Knicks game, 13 points, 6 of 7 from the free throw line. In that third quarter where everything goes south, Harrison Barnes plays 8 minutes, 0 points, 2 field goal attempts, but 0 free throw attempts. They were living at the line at the beginning of the game. Um, and it goes beyond just Harrison, but Harrison feels like a guy where it's, you are the elite three-point shooter that you need to compliment Fox and Sabonis. He's just got to, you know, maybe get himself a little bit more involved and be proactive in that way. But also how you kind of mentioned, I, I think the coaching staff could put him in situations where he is just naturally involved a little bit more often. You know, Brennan, one of the biggest problems I have is I don't remember him passing up any threes. Right. You know, point. so, so I don't, it's not like he's not pulling the trigger. It's not like he's not ready. It's that he, whatever it is, that he, wherever he's out on the floor, it's not advantageous to shooting the three ball and uh, like, it's not working out. And so they need to do, they need to do some tweaking there and figure out how they can get him involved and have him part of that action because 
he is a tremendous three-point shooter. He's been a really good uh, three-point shooter for like the last two and a half years. And it just, things have clicked. He's really tough to block. He's really tough to get up on because he can blow by you. He can, uh, he can draw the foul, but also he has a really high release point. And he just needs to shoot more. Like every time I look up, there's some random player on the King shooting a three that's not Harrison Barnes. And he literally is the guy that should be out there doing it. And I think it's interesting because uh, Alvin Gentry has talked about it multiple times. We want him taking, you know, eight threes a game. And it's like, well, then you probably need to find more sets where he is a primary threat to shoot those. And what I thought I saw in the third quarter against the Knicks, where, again, like, well, the Knicks game is such a weird game. But, uh, you know, the Kings hold the, King, the, the Knicks to 48 points in the first half, 44 in the third quarter, and 39 in the, in the fourth quarter. They gave up 83 points in the second half, which is just, it's an anomaly. Like, the whole game felt like an anomaly. It felt like they were going to lose, like, in the early third quarter, and they really weren't even down by that much. But once they let the Knicks get hot, it got out of control. But to go back to Harrison, it was like they were trying to force Harrison into Buddy Heald sets. It was like he was coming off a top screen and doing that. That's not what he needs to be doing. He needs to be the like the outlet guy that that's standing there wide open because all the other Kings are wide open. Everyone else gets a wide open look. They just keep missing. But it just feels like Harrison is not in the right position. He's not in the right, you know, if you want to count the numbers on each of the positions on the floor. Wherever he's at, they're not going to. And I'm not sure why that is. And I think it's something that is one spot where I think, like, look, Alvin has to figure that one out. Outside of that, like, I don't know what you do. When when your team hits nine three-pointers a game and they're giving up 17, like it's or 16, it's it's really, really hard to recover when you're getting outscored by, like, I don't know, what is that? If, if they're they're hitting 16 and you're hitting nine that's like 21 points a game right right yeah, that's hard to recover from yeah and my issue is that uh like i understand why alvin preaches pace so much and we heard it yet again at practice today that this team is best we heard it from dante and from justin holiday that this team is best when they are playing a high-paced offense um and i think we've heard alvin scream that all year long since he uh took the spot of luke I mean, Luke was saying it a lot too, but I felt like Alvin throws it in every single possible opportunity that he can. Um, I understand why, but, and, and while I do think that there's aspects that Alvin can be doing better, the truth is when you're a team that your best aspect is pace, that just means you're not very good at basketball. Like, you, you can't be a team like San Antonio is a high paced team, but they have a good defense that allows them to get in transition more often. They have a defense to fall back on. When you are poor defensively and poor in the half court on offense, I don't know what you're really good at. Um, like, I, I think any team is good in the open court. Most teams, I guess like bottom tier teams with a lot of poor decision makers, but like you have to be better at other aspects of the game. I, I think any team where your best aspect is pace, you need more talent. I was uh, I was surprised. I, I went through on for Sunday musings and I looked at the difference between 
Luke Walton's team and Alvin Gentry's team. And at this point, like Gentry's had almost three times as much time as Luke did, right? Um, Luke only made it, uh, I don't know, what were they, six and something. Six and 13 when he got fired, six and 11. Um, six and 11, I think. Yeah. yeah, six and 11. And now what we're looking at with uh, with Alvin is he's, he's not that much better. I mean, it's he's just, he's 18 and 31, I think. Yeah, 18 and 32 now. Um, but I was surprised that under Luke Walton, we, we remember that like this team was so bad defensively, so horrible defensively. Their defensive rating was 110, and their defensive rating under Alvin is like 115. It's one of the worst in the league. Uh, their def- defensive rating under uh, Luke Walton wasn't good, but they were still like 110. They have they have regressed so bad on the defensive end. It's not even it's not even funny. I mean, it's bad. Uh, but also on the offensive end, they're not better. Their their pace is basically the same. Uh, and their offensive rating is a little bit higher, but not really. And so I was, I'm still waiting to see what like the big impact of firing a coach and bringing one in is. And the, the answer is there is no, there is no impact. There has been no impact at all. Um, just that one coach lost his job and another stepped in and done his best, but, uh, it, it hasn't been good enough. And so this has been, it's been a holy mess, and you know, does Alvin have some different players to to work with here in the last eleven games? Yeah, but I still don't think it like what they've done hasn't been that impressive. What are they four and eight since the trade? That's just not going to cut it. Yeah, it's it's definitely not. Um, I think that it you can point at both things. I think that the coaching needs to be better because I don't know that there's players I can point at and say confidently that they are being optimized that you're getting the absolute most out of certain players like maybe fox sabonis right but it always feels weird with those guys because how much of that is the coaching based on those guys just being really good players that were gonna get their own no matter what um and and that's hard to tell but um yeah i i don't know that i can point towards anybody that I, i feel like is just being used perfectly and you're hiding their weaknesses and really making sure to highlight their strengths um, all that well. So, but at the same time, obviously, you're not doing any favors uh, complimenting what your star pieces are by not having great shooting around them. So it it goes towards both. I think uh, maybe not great coaching, but also an unideal roster for that coaching staff to work with. Yeah, I, I think the roster is totally flawed. Still, I mean, it's what we're seeing, and you know. I, I, uh, when we were at practice today, um, I talked to, uh, I asked DiVincenzo and um, Justin Holiday, just like how difficult is it to jump into a new team in the middle of the season and try to not just fit in, but play major minutes and find success. And I think these two players, like their career paths are so different that number one, you know, Justin Holiday is like, well, not it's not that difficult for me. I've bounced around the league quite a bit, and I've had to adjust on the fly and had to figure it out quickly. And I just need to be better. I just got to stop hitting, uh, missing shots. Um, but DiVincenzo's different. This was the first time for DiVincenzo, and I thought he was really honest. He said, "Look, I, I'm just coming back from like a, a messed up ankle, 
and you know, I like I, I was out for six months with an ankle with ankle surgery, and I was trying to find my way back and find my rhythm and and all that stuff with with the Bucks. But now I'm on a new team and I'm trying to find it here and you know I'm trying to rep my represent myself well, but it's not working out all the time. And he, but I, I what do you say that the the two things that he can control is his energy and his effort, and he's gonna bring it every night. And then he's going to try to get his rhythm back and try to get back to who he was as a player. But for right now, like he can, he can change the game with his energy and his effort. And I thought that that was a good point. And it's actually, you know, again, I think the Spurs game, the only reason the Kings won the Spurs game was Dante DiVincenzo's offensive rebound. Uh, he had a late offensive rebound fed Harrison Barnes running down the middle of the, the lane and, and got an and one, I believe. Uh, and, and it was a game-changing moment, and it was because he out-hustled everybody. And so I get what he means, um, but we need to see who he is as a player fully, and we might not get to see that until next season, um, which, of course, we're going to have to get through restricted free agency and everything else to, to be able to see that. So um, I don't on that aspect, like, what did you think of their answers? Because I thought that, you know, the conversation is good, but I, I really liked – the refreshing answer from both of them because I thought that uh the Justin Holiday was like self-deprecating and like really honest like I just haven't been that good uh, you know I just can't hit my shots and I thought that DiVincenzo uh was also really good in his own way definitely I didn't realize uh that you the extent of how much you presented them the same question and got such different answers until you like laid it out right now um but remember or recognized as soon as you said it that, yeah, I mean, it is just very different career paths for these guys. And, and I think one thing we've heard from Dante a lot is him talking about how this season was weird for him when he did come back because he was just like fighting what his role was even in Milwaukee. Like Pat Connington and Grayson Allen, I think are guys that were getting more opportunity than him. And, and his opportunity was just kind of spotty, which makes it tough to get back into a rhythm. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is very interesting to hear the difference in the, in those guys. I love hearing Dante say, you know, that, uh, when he can come in and, and focus on spreading positivity and energy that he wants that to be contagious. You know, he says that, uh, like my focus was my energy and he's trying to change the atmosphere, which is, I think very much needed with this Kings team. Um, and then, yeah, to hear Justin straight up acknowledge that, um, uh, the quote I have is, we're generating good looks. We just have to knock them down, speaking specifically to myself. Um, and he said that, you know, with a little bit of a laugh on his face. Like, he knows that he, he needs to be better. And obviously, it's been very clear. Um, but it's interesting because I, I think that it's guys that the way I look at them should probably be swapped. Where it's like, I think Justin could reasonably be asked to do a little bit less and Dante could be asked to do a little bit more sometimes, at least when it comes to role. Maybe not like do more. I think some people might think, oh, he's already doing too much sometimes. But I think just getting more opportunity while Justin could be in the opposite direction also is an interesting dynamic with these guys. Yeah, uh, Justin Holiday over his last three games is four for 27 from the field. Uh, I mean, from the from three. Um, he just, he hasn't been able to hit anything. He's, he's two for 15 over his last two games and he's really struggling. And since he joined the Kings, 
it's been that way. It's been, you know, his first game, 0 for 6. His third game, 1 for 6. Uh, 1 for 6 in, um, you know, like just five games ago. 1 for 3, 2 for 12, 1 for 7, 1 for 8. He just has not been able to find his range. And I'll tell you this, if he would have hit those shots in a couple of these games, this team would have won. Like if he would have like had a reasonable shooting percentage, it would have changed the dynamic of the game. And the fact that, that teams are just packing the paint against Fox and are just collapsing on Sabonis, it's very specific. It's because the other three guys either aren't shooting enough in Harrison Barnes or aren't hitting enough shots in whoever else you put out there. And uh, I think Trey Lyles, we, you know, Trey Lyles needs to shoot more. Um, you know, we need to see more of what he can bring because, again, we're looking at him as like a player archetype, if nothing else. And he needs to be out there like really getting up shots and spacing the floor for his teammates. That's why he's in the starting lineup right now is to space the floor. Um, but we're just not getting enough. Some, you know, the one night he has 24, the next night he has like three. Um, you know, yeah. the consistency isn't isn't there. Um, I, I'm I'm with you that we need to see more from Trey with throwing up more shots, but I think it says a lot that we're sitting here saying we need to see more from Trey Lyles. I think it says a lot we're saying we need to see more from Trey Lyles and Justin Holiday. Um, you know, I, I think Dante DiVincenzo is a part of this thing going forward, I believe, you know. Um, and I know Davion Mitchell, you know, we can talk about this all day long, but like Davion Mitchell is just hitting the wall and, and he's going to have really good games and he's going to have really bad games. And that that's what happens with rookies. And usually there is a point where they get, they get over the hump again. It's usually twice, especially in an 82 game season, but there will be a moment here where he just goes on a tear and he finished really, he finishes really strong or he won't. But I, I think people forget that Tyrese Halliburton last year, Went through the entire. He went through a stretch where he just couldn't hit anything. He he did have a very very bad stretch where he went from being like a forty six percent three point shooter all the way down to a forty one percent three point shooter, like in the span of a of a two week period where he just wasn't hitting. And it, it's something that happens to every young player when they're getting in the league. They've never played this many games in a season. You know, uh, he's coming off like 32, 33, 34, 35 games, maybe a few more games than the normal, uh, like, college player because he did go all the way to uh, the championship. Um, but still, it's not enough games, you know, like, to compare. And then they, they get into the league and they, they start going through all the travel. They start going through just what it means to be a professional. And, like, I, I don't have a lot of worries about Davion, um, but, you know, the Kings need more talent. I mean, like, I, I don't know how many times we can say this. It's pretty clear, right? It is. Um, yeah, it definitely is. And they need complimentary guys, like high-end complimentary guys. Obviously, if you can add another guy, the caliber of Fox or Sabonis, you do that. But I think that getting the right pieces to complement those guys where another guy, say like Harrison, where if you're going to have these inconsistencies, have another guy who maybe has these sort of inconsistencies, but your high end of that is a 25-point night. Um, and that's not like a crazy outlier. That's just a good Harrison Barnes night. Um, if you have another guy where that's sort of the variance that you're dealing with, then sure. But I like there's a lot of guys to me on this team where if you look at it, if you add a number three to this team and everybody else is moved down one spot 
in your level of responsibility that it could fit smoother. You know, Harrison Barnes being the fourth guy, Dante DiVincenzo being your fifth, or Davion being your fifth, those guys being five, six, like Justin Holiday is your seven or eight, and Trey Lyles is eight or nine. Like, I think it starts to fit a little bit better if you can slot in one more piece um, as about the number three, four. Yeah, and I'll say this too. Like, I know a lot of people have been on Fox because his assist numbers have been so far off. And the same, you could say the same thing about Sabonis. Sabonis has huge assist numbers in the first half and then, like, very little assist number in the second half. It's because people aren't hitting shots, just so people understand that. Like, De'Aaron Fox would have another four or five assists per game if guys were hitting shots. Sabonis would already have probably two or three triple doubles if his teammates were hitting shots. The fact that they're not hitting anything from the perimeter, like, it just takes away all your assists. It, it like, screws everything up. And so, look, I, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, what you talked about there, where if you put in a three, it's going to allow everyone to, like, slide down a notch. I think if you put in a number three and now you have legit three fours, and what we're talking about, we're not talking about, like, a this small forward and power forward position. We're talking about, like, third and fourth options. I think that that will help Sabonis and Fox elevate to true one-twos. Now, whoever's one and whoever's two, I, I'll just tell you right now, it sure does look like De'Aaron Fox is right back on path, and he's going to be a very, very, very good player going forward. Um, but I still, like, I love the potential of, of Sabonis as well. He's 25 years old. He's got so much room that he can grow in the right system with the right coach and the right everything else. Um, let's you get can take to, turns. Yeah, they, they, you're right. You're right. Okay, let's get to uh, Tuesday over reactions. Brendan. Demonis Sabonis is a hothead. He's DeMarcus he's, Cousins 2.0. He is. He, and, and he hates Sacramento. He clearly is out enough. He's in basketball hell. That's why he got thrown out of the game. Um, Sabonis uh, got a double tech in the third quarter against the Knicks. And a lot of the like the people, uh, well, a lot of the reaction on social media was like, welcome to basketball hell. Like, hey, look, he finally got it. He's in Sacramento. Oh, good for you, Sabonis. You, you need to scream and yell and get yourself out of here. Um yeah, man, I, like, at some point, somebody has to stand up for the Kings. That's that's a problem. Somebody has to stand up. And I, I wish that it was Alvin Gentry doing it more often, to be honest with you. I thought his tech in the first half was a bad tech, like a horrible tech. Like, why are you getting a tech with, like, 30 seconds left in the half? Um, but there's been, like, four or five times here where De'Aaron Fox isn't getting any calls. Uh, and, like, Alvin Gentry needed to get a tech. Now, when it came to Sabonis man, I'm okay with him losing it. I'm okay with him getting angry and and getting tossed. I'll be honest with you. I still think he wants to be in Sacramento. I still think he will be here. I think he will sign a long-term extension. And that's like everything I know is that he's totally happy being here. He's just frustrated because he saw another loss coming and the way that it was turning, and he kind of lost his cool. Yeah, I understand where the concern comes from because, you know, Sabonis made it very clear post game, like, and maybe this is for the sake of saving face and you don't want to incur any, you want to lessen any sort of fine he maybe has to deal with or something. But he comes out and says, you know, it, it had more to do with the state of the game and they saw they were blowing a lead rather than the whistle that was going on. Um, 
And I do think it is slightly concerning that Sabonis is very clearly frustrated that there's multiple games in a row where they're blowing this lead. Um, And I think that if you have too many of these as the year ends, that your honeymoon phase of I'm so happy to be on a team that really wants me here and, you know, finally a team that's acquiring him that knows who they're getting into Montes Sabonis and is viewing him as a feature piece, that that can quickly fade away. Um, we're not there yet. It's still very early because I still think there's a lot of aspects where Sabonis is able to look towards, okay, but look at how good we were for those 24 minutes. And there's no reason that that shouldn't be sustainable um, if you just get more complimentary guys. Like, he can see how good De'Aaron Fox is and how good that that pairing is able to be. Like, there's still a lot of things that Sabonis can look at as positives and hopefuls and, and areas to find where this can work. I do think it is slightly concerning that he's getting overly frustrated by, already by Kang's moments, but understandable. You just can't have a whole lot of these as the year ends. At the same time, the more of them you have, the better your draft pick is, and a top four pick would be pretty encouraging to me if I was Sabonis to be added alongside me. Yeah, and and I'm also going to say, like, Sabonis is watching this unfold. He's watching players miss these three-pointers, and, like, he he understands why they're losing, why why the game is spinning out of control. Like, it's a beautiful game, and then all of a sudden it's not, and teams are making adjustments because they can, because the Kings can't make you pay with three-point shooters. But he also, I think Sabonis is smart enough to look around and go, okay, how many of these guys who are missing these shots are legitimately going to be here long-term? How many of these are answer pieces? How many are their teammates I'm going to have to deal with for the next four years, five years, six years? And the answer is none of the players that are missing these shots uh, outside of maybe Davion uh, Mitchell are going to be you know, fixtures here. Um, maybe there's a possibility that, that Dante DiVincenzo signs a long-term deal. Um, that that's going to be a possibility, but at the same time, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like he's looking at this roster the same way we are like, okay, like we're going to get better. How, how are we going to improve? What are the positions that we need? What are the player types that we need? How many phone calls is he going to make in the off season? Say, Hey, would you like to come and play with me in Sacramento? Like we got something cooking here with De'Aaron and myself and we'd like you to come on board. Like, these are things where I don't think he's that worried about what happens in the final 18 games, 15 games, whatever it is. Um, I think he's more just like in the moment he lost it because he felt the same thing was happening again. And that Julius Randle was able to just slam into him and do whatever he wanted. Like, early in the game, uh, it was ridiculous. I mean, Mitchell Robinson got two fouls in the first minute and 20 and then they brought in uh, Jericho Sims, who had three fouls in like four minutes of play. I mean, this was like, that's how the game was being called. And then all of a sudden, that's not how the game was being called. All of a sudden, it was okay for Julius Randle to just slam into Sabonis repeatedly. And he's like, what is going on here? And, you know, you're in Sacramento. You're not going to get calls. That's what's going on. Yeah, uh, certainly an aspect of it. And I understand Sabonis's, uh frustration in that aspect as well and, and even if you look at you know you, t- you talked about De'Aaron De'Aaron's on an absolute tear right now he just scored a tight a career high 44 points he shot six free throws in that game like he the, the last definitely should have got to line more 
admitted they missed a, a set of free throws. The last two minute report. Like how many other during that game? Like just that final two minutes. Well, we had, you know, twenty four segments of two minutes. How many more times did they miss uh, a call on Fox? And I mean, Fox understands it. He doesn't like it, but he understands that he's in Sacramento and he's not going to get the call. And and you know, it's frustrating. But that's where it's like, hey, at some point, Fox does need to get thrown out of a game. Alvin Gentry does need to make a stand. Somebody has to say something. Uh, you know, and you know, it, even if it's three guys getting one tech each, say something like it, don't keep allowing that to be the norm. And, you know, there's a difference between complaining all the time and like holding the refs accountable in the moment, which I don't think the Kings do a great job of. And I thought the officiating in that game was just in the Knicks game. It was really, really poor. Yeah, it was tough. Um, there's definitely been frustrating moments with the refs recently, but I, I think that um, the Kings, it was within their control to win or maybe not tr so drastically lose uh, some of these games. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so I uh, I was able to talk to De'Aaron Fox today for a few, and um, I just the smile is back with De'Aaron. So whether, you know, he doesn't like losing for sure. No one likes losing. But I think anyone can see that he's just he's moving at a whole nother level. He's playing at a whole nother level. But just the, the way he's moving on the court, everything looks so much better. And uh, I don't know, you know, like we've we've talked about it plenty of times and what happened in the first coming into the season and why he got off to such a bad start and and all these things. But um, like I when I talked to him today, like the biggest thing that kept coming up was Sabonis and just like, he's never played with anyone like him. He's never played with anyone, a big man, any, at any point in his career, high school, college pros that plays the way that Sabonis does that sets up his teammates. And he also brought up something really interesting. And it was that the dual left-handed thing is really, really sneaky tough to deal with so he said that uh that most teams because both he and Sabonis are left-handed their initial reaction is always to force Fox to his right well when they force Fox to his right now it opens up everything for Sabonis to roll to his left and so they stop taking that away and now all of a sudden Fox has his left hand going at the rim and they can't stop him there and then Fox is being able to stop on the baseline and drop passes back to Sabonis, who's storming through the rain, uh, through the key for you know going right at the rim. I think we're we're starting to see this moment where like chemistry is building with these two very quickly, and they would love it if everyone else was hitting and everyone else was doing what they're supposed to be doing. But at the same time, I think they both look at each other as like the way out. Like this is. This is how we get to the playoffs. It's because we have us two here, and people are not going to be able to stop us. And so I thought it was really interesting, like to talk to Fox and sort of feel his energy and like how optimistic he is, and how he wants to like keep touch with guys all summer long. Um, how he wants to make sure that you know he's coming in with the right mentality for this coming season. Um, but like you've got to see the highs and lows of a player in a different way. So like I've spent the last five years studying De'Aaron Fox every day because he's the best player on the team. What are, 
what have been your takeaways from watching him? Because you're looking at it with fresh eyes. Like you're seeing a different way that this season's played out and a different way that a young player is sort of developing, struggling, finding himself and all that stuff and, you know, all wrapped into one in, in the last 67 games or whatever. Yeah, I think beginning of the year, you could see, or even I guess after those first 10 games where they were playing well and, and then things went downhill pretty quickly and then ended up letting go of Luke. So outside of those first like 10, you saw De'Aaron, at least, you know, my first impression of really getting like close interactions with him, he just looked like very disengaged. He looked so just frustrated, you know, like so many people were like, he just doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to be a part of this. And my first kind of read on it was, I think this is just what frustration looks like to him. Um, and he looked really, really frustrated at the beginning of the year is what it felt like. And then as they um, kind of progressed a little bit further, and especially since these trades have been made, he seems rejuvenated. Like he has, like you're saying, a, a smile on his face. He's way more interactive with all of us in the media. Um, you can see it on the floor. Um, I, I know that it gets probably joked about a little bit and maybe it doesn't actually mean that much, but like him and Domas embracing on the floor uh, a couple different times and like showing that camaraderie. He's really talked up Dante and what he brings as somebody coming from a championship contender. And um, yeah, I, I just feel like De'Aaron is happy with the guys that he's around now. And it didn't feel like he was enjoying playing basketball earlier this year. I agree. It did look like he was not enjoying playing basketball. And I don't think, I mean, he has no problems with Tyrese Halliburton at no. all. Like, absolutely not. I mean, they are very close. Like, again, they, they talked for a half hour after Ty got the phone call that he was being traded. So, I mean, they do have a, a very strong relationship. But saying that, when you have a nether primary distributor type player it did take the ball out of fox's hands a lot and um I, I think we saw him defer to halliburton more this year than he did in the previous year uh, but i i really wanted to see like him try to thrive alongside halliburton and we didn't get to see enough of it um like for for me i would have liked to have seen three or four years of halliburton and fox to really like make a determination on whether they can play together. But what I can tell you is that Fox was not playing well with the group of players that were here before. He did not look like himself. He did not look like he was in, like what you said, like he was enjoying himself at all. He did not look like he was ready to lead this team. And then all of a sudden you shake everything up and he goes right back to looking like a, like a star level player. Like he has no ceiling. That's that's what he looks like instantly. If he wants to add the three-point shot and really focus and get better on that end, he can be an absolute elite player. He can average 20 points a, I mean 28 points a game, 29, 30 points a game for a season. He's that type of player now. I did not think that last year coming into last season. When he averaged 25 for the season, I was like pleasantly surprised, but the way that he did it where all of a sudden he's averaging, you know, 28 a game for you know, a month and a half that showed me that he can be that player. And now we're seeing it again. He can be that player. So I, uh, he's got to be more consistent with it. He's got to show you that, you know, 
that he's he can come into camp that way and he can be mentally prepared to take this team and lead it. Um, but in what is it, eleven games since the trade, twelve games since the trade, or twelve, 12 games since the trade, but eleven with Sabonis. And in okay. the twelve, twenty seven point nine points, six point two assists on fifty one percent from the field, thirty five percent from three, seventy two percent from the line. Yeah, that's kind of good, right? It's uh, not bad, that's for sure. And as much as I, you know, when Ty got moved on, it was like, man, that is probably the most enjoyable guy to watch play basketball. Kind of uh, got a quick, uh, hey, remember how fun it is to watch this version of De'Aaron Fox. This version of De'Aaron Fox is a better player. Like, I know we, we even see it right now. The Kings traded their best young player. No, they did not. Uh you know, we can argue it all day long, but in my opinion, this is why you paid Fox, because he's this good. There's something he said at the beginning of the season during training camp that stood out to me. And, and you know, it kind of it speaks to his the way he thinks of the game, but I think it also speaks to the way that the whole first half of the season went. He uh, he was asked about goals. What were his goals for the season? Was it to be an all-star? Was it, you know— what what did he want? And he goes, I'm not worried about any of that. Like, we win, and I'll be an all star. But like, he didn't he didn't walk into the season saying I'm going to be an all star and I'm going to lead this team. It was if and if and if, and none of those things came to fruition. Now I think he needs to understand that like walking into next season, it is I'm going to be an all star and I'm going to lead this team to the playoffs. That's it. And I'm not going to talk about it. I'm actually going to do it. and But I'm not going to leave this like gray area that, you know, if we're good, then I'll make it. Because that's, that's kind of what it came down to. And now we've seen a bunch of guards pass him and move into the, the all-star conversation above him. And if he's going to be the player that we see right now, he's a multi-time all-star. He, he is a very, very good NBA player. Yeah, and he has to be because um, if he was this guy throughout the entire season, the Kings are in that 10 spot or or really, really close to it. Um, so I, I don't think that he's void of, it, void of any blame throughout this season, but I do understand where the frustration could be stemming from if you had guys around that didn't want to be there, that you didn't want around. Um, so I understand where it comes from, but certainly going into next year, it's got to be 65, 70 of the 82 that you play. Yeah, he's he's got to show it. He's got to prove it. Um, okay, uh, I, I don't always like discussing things that other media members say, and I mean, um, when it comes down to like the media members that were around all the time, uh, you know, the guys uh, Jason Jones that was there for. I mean, Jason was with me for like eleven years covering this team, um, or our guy Sean Cunningham who eventually will be back where he's still on hiatus um, or guys uh, like Jason Anderson. Um, we don't dig into like a lot of examining what they're saying. Um, but uh, on 1140, Carmichael Dave made a statement and I, I listened to his rant a little bit. It's about two minutes long. Um, and his point was that anyone who has been on this team longer then this season and last season has to go that the culture of this team is so bad and that they all have to leave and he named them by name 
um, you know, including Harrison Barnes, uh, including De'Aaron Fox, including Rashawn Holmes. Everyone's got to go. I think he also meant coaching staff. I think he meant everyone has to go. Um, but very specifically, Fox, uh, Holmes, Barnes. Um, like, look, I, I think we've been pretty clear that we believe that Rashawn Holmes will find a new home this offseason. But do you believe that the culture is so bad here that you can't fix what's going on and retain two pretty high-level talents in De'Aaron Fox and uh, and Harrison Barnes? Absolutely not. Not at all. Um, Devin Booker got this label. Zach Levine got this label. I don't agree with this at all. Um, Harrison Barnes specifically is crazy to me uh, because Harrison Barnes is somebody that is just so ridiculously well-liked, so well-spoken, somebody who's active in every community that he's been a part of. Um, like he, he's just, he's the exact type of guy that you want to help build a good culture. Like he's a great example of some, like if you could have an entire team of Harrison Barnes, you would have a phenomenal culture. Um, so Harrison, definitely not like De'Aaron is a guy that talks about wanting to be here. Um, maybe he had some second guesses earlier this year, who knows, but I think it would be somewhat understandable. Like, I think that the impression I got from Dave's rant was that, you know, these guys could be broken, um, at this point and you just need to reset or that they They, are broken. Right. They, you've changed enough. Like De'Aaron looked broken earlier this year, but you've changed enough of the surrounding pieces. It's not like the only reason that got certain guys can't be in a good culture is if they are cancers to a culture and they are actively going to hurt a culture that you're trying to build. So I just don't think that any three of those guys fall into that at all. I think that you had guys on this team earlier this year that were hurting your culture. So while maybe De'Aaron, and I don't know, but maybe De'Aaron's not a guy that helps build a good culture. Maybe he is, but maybe he's not. He's not a guy from what I can tell that's actively hurting your culture. Rashawn Holmes is not a guy that's actively hurting your culture. Like that's a hardworking guy that his fights and scraps every single time that he's on the floor. We haven't heard any sort of public complaints about his role change or anything like this. Um, Like maybe the personal reasons thing is a little weird that went on yesterday when we saw him warming up, but like those are, I, I don't view any of those guys as anywhere near the, like looking at them and being like, you cannot have a good culture if these guys are on your team. So while maybe they're not actively making it a good culture, you can have other aspects that help do that. Like, again, Devin Booker and Zach Levine were not those guys, but Monty Williams comes in, and Devin Booker can be a part of a good culture if you have somebody else that's leading that. Um, With Chicago, I don't know exactly who it is. DeMar DeRozan, maybe, goes in and is the leader of that culture, but you have other guys that are glad to be Zach Levine, a part of a good culture and help be a member of that. And Fox, Barnes, Rashawn all seem like guys who I feel 
pretty good saying can be a part of a good culture and are not stopping you from building a good culture, even if it hasn't been around. I agree. And then, you know, like you brought up a couple of really good examples. I mean, look at, um, like I, I would have put Carl Anthony Towns and, um, you know, and, and that group there and the same exact, you know, like group that like, look, you can't build a culture with these guys. And sure enough, here they are. They're a playoff team. They're going to be a playoff team. I mean, I, I think situations change so quickly in the NBA, except for in Sacramento. And that's probably why we, we feel this way. That's probably why Dave is putting it out there that he feels this way. Um, I, I don't believe it. Uh, to be honest, I I think that they need to find a the right coach, the right coach to build around, the right group of people to build around, they need to get out of their own way. They need to make sure that that from top to bottom, everything is top of the line. And for 25 years, they had a top of the line training staff. Actually, I think it's longer than that. Like even it predates Pete Youngman. But Pete Youngman and his group of people were absolutely phenomenal and part of the fabric of the franchise. They were part of the fabric of the franchise that made the Kings really, really good all the way through the this, you know, the golden era of Kings basketball. Um, you found ways here to really upset the balance, and I don't know how to, like, how to find the right balance because I've watched them do it time and time again. Um, and and I think every coach that comes in has a different idea. You know, we I, I've brought this up before. We had Dave Yeager who came in. And I don't think Dave Yeager had one guy on his staff that will be a head coach. I mean, there are guys like strong guys like Brian Gates and and Jason March that uh, that could like someday like work their way up into it. But that wasn't the idea behind Dave Yeager's staff. Dave Yeager's staff was was a bunch of guys who played against who coached against each other in the minor leagues that had known each other for years that had a like a band of brothers mentality. They had been through wars together. They had literally traded players for steak dinners to each other like they were guys that had really come up through the system together and they were so close we get to luke walton staff luke walton staff wasn't that way at all what luke got buried in la for bringing in a bunch of his friends he came to sacramento he decided to only bring in jesse mermaids and then a bunch of other guys that you know he didn't know and the entire first season Felt like Luke Walton and Jesse Mermies and a bunch of dudes who didn't know each other. They were all awkward. They wouldn't talk to the media because they didn't know where their place was. Like, and I don't mean talk to media like give me dirt. I mean sit and actually talk to us, like have conversations. There was like this buffer, this leeriness about the media because no one knew what their place was with the team, even though they had these really strange titles. Year two of Luke. A whole new coaching staff. Year three of Luke. A whole new coaching staff. Like again, we've had three different offensive coordinators. We've uh, we've seen you know uh, three different, well, two different offensive coordinators, and then you know of course Alvin Gentry was the offensive coordinator, but now he's the head coach, and they never really replaced him. Like the turnover has been so crazy in the coaching staff. Like bring in a group that knows the identity that they're looking for, that have people that they're comfortable with, that can build help you build the culture. And that could mean like 
rebooting the whole thing the training staff the coach the the medical staff everybody reboot everything if you have to but culture isn't three basketball players it's so much more than that and i think that's what's missed here like the culture of a team is everything from the ownership to the media relations staff and how they deal with players it's it's the you know the front office how that communication works all of it it's one big gigantic thing and you can have like culture killers and the kings have always had two or three one two three like it depends on the year how many culture killers they have and sometimes it is a player Sometimes it is a, an assistant general manager who's an absolute culture killer and ruins everything. Sometimes it's a coach that, that just kills everything. Sometimes it's, you know, like part of the management group. Like they have to figure that side out where, you know, they, they move forward with people with the right intentions and the intentions are to build something special that is sustainable. And you can't keep getting it wrong, but you can because they've proven that they can keep getting it wrong. I mean, again, since since Rick Adelman left, how many head coaches are we looking at? I, I don't even know if I can name them all off the top of my head, but I'll try really quick. We've got uh, Eric Musselman. We've got Reggie Theus. We've got Kenny Nat. We've got Paul Westfall. We've got Keith Smart. Now, once we get past Keith Smart, we have Michael Malone, Ty Corbin, George Carl. Then we get to Dave Yeager and then Luke Walton. And then Alvin Gentry, eleven head coaches since two thousand the the end of the two thousand five two thousand six season, in sixteen years. That's one reason why you're really bad. Why you're sixteen seasons without a playoff appearance. Why you're sixteen seasons under five hundred. But that's just one layer of it. You know, it's got to be everything. And I'm not going to single out three players and say they can't be here because that's just ridiculous in my mind. I mean, it's so many other people that are at fault here. There is. Um, it can come from a lot of places, I, I think, which is, is kind of what you're saying. Like your leader that helps start to really create this culture. And as long as you have other people in these other positions that are willing to also help work towards that culture rather than be a culture killer i think it's fine like you look at memphis john morant is probably the guy that's the um putting the culture in place but at the same time everybody else is obviously buying in but i think that everybody wants your top guy to be the one that creates the culture and it doesn't have to be like the culture of Golden State, some of it has to do with Steph and maybe his unselfishness, but it's Draymond Green. And Draymond's obviously a phenomenal player, but there's so many different aspects. Like San Antonio is obviously their coach. Same with Toronto. You look at, um, I mean, Toronto, I, I think like Pascal Siakam is a guy that's been questioned of how he fits in a culture. And obviously they are, they're doing all right for themselves and, and have in the past, you saw him be a part of a championship team, debatably like the one B on that team for a little while during their run. Like it can come from a lot of different spots as long as the other members are willing to buy in and contribute to the good culture. So I, I don't think that like, sure, those three guys haven't been able to make this a good culture. But 
it's just not their personalities. They doesn't mean they can't be a part of a good culture and they're working. Uh, it's kind of an uphill battle in Sacramento. Yeah, it's an uphill battle. I mean, you have to pick a route, a path, and and you got to stick to it. And you got to find a group of people that have pure motives and their motives are nothing but winning and getting this team on the right path. And I, I hope that they have that ability to find those people. And, and I'm not even going to, you know, because if you're going to say, you know, that right there, if you're going to just throw that out there, that all those people have to go, then again, all the training staff has to go. The, the medical staff, they have to go. Um, like all of upper management has to go. Um, like all of media relations has to go. Like if you're going to single out three players and say, that's why it's these three guys, it's not, it's, it's just not. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, I get it. There's a lot of problems that in Sacramento and it's a, it is a culture of losing and that's something that has to change if they're going to get out of this. Uh, but at the same time, like, there are a lot of places that have turned things around and a coach can turn things around a, a specific player can turn things around, but there are a lot of other people that can turn things around. And I, I think we have to, we have to give Monty McNair a little bit more time to try to piece this thing together. Cause a lot of these decisions are 100% on him. Yeah. He, he's bought himself more time with this Sabonis move of, okay, you have a one and two in place that, I think everybody can see the potential with now go get the right surrounding pieces. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be like you want to have a start to what you're trying to build this off season, but it doesn't have to be in one off season. I, they have to be much, much better next year. But as long as you're building something, you'll get players to, to join up. You'll get, you'll get the right type of people to come in the door. And, and I think that's what you kind of have to focus on. Yeah. Um, it does it does need to be significant this offseason though like if you somehow oh yeah, yeah do yeah. well do poor on this coaching decision like it, that sets you back pretty far as we've seen well i don't know because you're just gonna fire them in two years if it's not working <laughs> out maybe a year and a half i mean so, sorry you have to do really well with this assistant coach whoever <laughs> the assistant is, is <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's a it's a hot mess it's a hot mess um, all right, so uh, let's see. I think we've covered just about every base that we were, we were going to cover in today's show. Um, we are going to transition and start talking about like potential free agents. We're going to talk about draft picks. We're going to talk about everything else, but we haven't quite hit like this last, like the sprint. Um, and the Kings have been all over the board, erratic and crazy. Um, we're still analyzing the trades that happened because they're, it's still playing out in real time in front of us. And so we're going to get to all that stuff, but keep in mind that like from April 15th until July 1st, we're going to have a lot of time to discuss all of that stuff and to really get into the finer nuances of who uh, Brendan would like to change uh, the culture and the team, you know, the, 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 the way this thing is headed, whether it be a coach or a player, um, I'll do the same thing. You'll get a lot of like what we think. Um, but for right now, like there is still games to be played. There is still in situations that happen like the Sabonis situation. So we'll get to that stuff, but just be patient with us because we just aren't quite there yet. We will get there. We will get there. Um, but that brings us to the business of basketball. Are you ready, Brendan? I am ready. 
Are you ready, James? I don't know. Yes, I'm <laughs> ready, Brendan. Uh, what are you looking forward to the most in the last 15 games? Personally, um, which, you know, a lot obviously revolves around Kings basketball. Um, so much of my life at this point, which some people might feel bad, but I enjoy it. It's probably just further trying to build relationships with members of the organization. Like, you know, I'm getting more time. Like, at this point, I'm comfortable, right, um, to an extent. I, I think that so now I would feel more willing or comfortable to try and have a one-on-one with some player, for example, or you know, talking to some of the media relations guys a little bit more often or um, different, just different people like that, or maybe members of the coaching staff and, and trying to kind of just further network now that I feel more comfortable and it's less of, you know, sitting there and, oh, what's this person's name again? What's their role? And just so many names to learn and people to understand their positions and everything that now I feel like I have a better understanding I can go about building these relationships a little bit more. So personally, that's kind of where I'm at and also hoping that I get to analyze some decent basketball as as the year winds down here. I'm going to say you're not going to get a lot of decent basketball. Um, just going to put, it, just gonna put it out there. Yeah, because the next handful of games are just brutal. Like, uh, I mean, the Kings will be lucky if this losing streak right now doesn't hit like seven or, or eight or nine. Um, it's going to be really tough, but you talk about relationships and like, I I have long said that I I think for the most part, like there are like sources here and there, but sources are more relationships where there's trust back and forth and you're building relationships with people who tell you information and then you search out that information in different ways and check with different people that you have relationships with and try to track things down. And so for me, I think that that is such an important thing for you to say that, that you're trying to build these relationships. And and like when I go about it, it's I build relationships with, I try, I try to build relationships with every single person possible. Um, I, like I, I've told the story of like, I, I went to see Ed Sharon with my wife and some lady like, like got in my ear and started yelling at me. Um, because she thought I was standing in front of uh, uh, another concert goer who was in a wheelchair, which I was not. Like I, I had been checking the whole time to make sure that we weren't in front of her and that she had plenty of space to, to see the stage. Um, and as soon as that lady came over and started, who was yelling and not happy with me at all, which was totally bizarre, um, all of the ushers uh, that I say hello to and I study their names and remember them and I check in with them. They were on that lady so fast. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's that's crazy. <laughs> like, my people, <laughs> get her, <laughs> my people. No, but it was like, it's those moments where you're like, okay, that's why you be nice to everyone. That's why you greet everyone. That's why you treat everyone in the arena with respect because we're all in this together. We're all in this great big flaming ball of of magma uh like careening towards disaster at all times together absolutely yeah and 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 at the same time like 
these are I'm quickly realizing like also your genuine friends like spend so much time around you and everybody else in the media group that like this is genuinely just also going to become friendships yeah that's that's what all it is all of it is i mean like it's you're you're good at building relationships already i've seen it uh so i'm happy to say that like you're gonna do just fine doing it but like sitting down and talking to sam amick and having conversations about not about news not about the kings but about you know being better at your job and and figuring things out that's big it's big and um, and it's not just him. It's, you know, it's Mark Spears. It's, it's getting to know guys like Logan Murdoch who have had just a totally bizarre path to where they're at and all of a sudden are like a superstar, a budding superstar in our, in our business. Or guys like Slater, who's such a talented writer. Uh, guys like Fred Katz that come in the building um, as visiting media and are just crazy and fun and demanding oatmeal raisin cookies. Like, where are my oatmeal raisin cookies? Um, like, it's it's definitely a trip, and I, I'm glad you're getting to experience this. Uh, real quickly, what's your biggest fear? What's your biggest fear in the final uh, 15 games, or, or like heading into summer, early summer? Uh, that I'm not sure what the off season looks like. I hate having, like, I just got in a groove, I feel like. There's been a couple times I, I we mentioned I talked to you about this earlier today after uh, practice, but like there's been probably two or three times where I feel like I'm in a rhythm and then realize that I'm like not or just find myself like getting really overwhelmed and then it's hard to even do one of the things on my list because I'm thinking about the next three at the same time. Um, so while I'm like getting a rhythm and an understanding of what every day looks like here. I'm not the most excited to have to stop that, but also like you know, there's less going on in the off season. But I'm I'm kind of an introvert, believe it or not, and uh, I, I think that it's going to be a whole lot of time spent inside when I don't have these these games and practices to go to and everything. Uh, yeah, the the fear. I think you always get to the end of the season, and as someone who in the past has written like. Like the last three years at NBC, I wrote 500 plus articles a year, and like the mental toll that takes on you is is astronomical. But it's really, really hard when you get in such a rhythm where you rely on quotes so much for your writing, and then you get to the off season and there are no more quotes. There's no more people around. So like you can try to track down players and do like podcasts and stuff like that, um, but again, you're looking at like two or three articles you're writing. But when you're in that mode where you have to write so much and all of a sudden like your security blanket of quotes are gone. And then this season, I've probably written five articles that included like a lot of quotes total, which is totally bizarre because I'm used to writing maybe 400 of those articles. And so I'm not so reliant on quotes so that's usually my biggest fear is that you get to the end of the year. It's like, uh, it all has to be analysis. It all has to be like thinking, going through numbers, uh, digging deep, looking at like tape of uh, prospects and stuff like that. But that's kind of the mode that I'm going to be in anyways. And I'm looking forward to it. So it's interesting. Cause that's what I was 
always in for the last like two, three years. And then I just started getting access to all these quotes and everything and got comfortable doing that style of writing. So weirdly okay with going back to these more analysis and diving in like, I think I did that for a while. Yeah. No, I did too. Stylistically, it's different. And the other thing is, as Brennan talked about, he's had burnout a couple of times during the season. And that happens. Like my guy, John Santiago at Cowbell would work himself into the ground and then just absolutely melt down and like would disappear on me for like two weeks. I was like, is John coming back? And then he'd pop right back. All right, I'm back. Sorry about that. I lost my, I lost my marbles. I'm back. Um, and you know, everyone deals with the stress of this job differently, but it's stressful and it's chaotic and it never ends and it doesn't shut off. It's a 24 seven, uh, thing that I think that Brennan is, is learning. He's, he's, uh, He's basically doing exactly what I told you Davion Mitchell has gone through throughout the season. As a young reporter, you're you're getting your sea legs, you're losing your sea legs, you're wearing down, you're dealing with like, have I spent enough time with my significant other? Um, you know, like all of these things, you know, is my dog still gonna love me when it's all over? Um, you know, the answer is no. Not enough walks. Yeah. You're trying to survive the season and uh uh no, I, I think it, it's it's a good it's a good thing to go through. It's a good thing to see you go through it too, and to be at like the other side of it. Like, okay, this is old hat. My biggest question is whether my back's going to hold up and I'm going to be able to sit down through the whole season or not. And typically, the answer is no. Uh, yeah. All right. So, uh, Brennan, do you have any final thoughts? I don't. Uh, start Dante Divincenzo. Can I throw that out there? Yeah, start Dante Divincenzo. I've been riding that bandwagon. Like, hey, why not? Like, you got to try something, right? You do. And if he's uh, a whole lot better being uh, more in a rhythm and and spot-up guy offensively, I would think that if he's spending more minutes alongside guys that are higher usage, that he's going to get better looks and not trying to create for himself uh, so radically all the time. Uh, What if giving him more minutes and starting him cost his value to go up in the off season and you're retaining his value at its lowest point. If he plays well as a compliment to Fox and Sabonis enough to deserve more money, then you pay him more money. There it is. I agree. You pay good players. That's the way it goes. Um, all right, let's see. Let's track down uh, the basics. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, um give us a thumbs up give us a subscription um we broke a thousand which we're super excited about that uh now we got to get to two thousand so i'm gonna just keep bugging you about that um so that's awesome uh subscribers are going up uh make sure you're jumping on board with the king's beat we got the king's beat happy hour coming up on march 24th uh it's gonna be a very good time a lot like the last one if you missed the last one it was pretty spectacular um jerry reynolds talking about you know, riding on a garbage truck and like being a garbage man with Larry Bird, um, like some of the best content you're ever going to hear in your life. And you missed it. We don't record them. You don't get to hear it. Uh, so sorry about that. Um, also, uh, like the gear, you can hop on and go to the Kings beat merch shop. Um, KB podcast, uh, capital K capital B capital P, in podcast is your promo code to get 15% off. It's also down in the description on the YouTube uh, channel. So 
Uh, make sure you're doing all of that stuff. Um, and outside of that, uh, we got 15 games left. We are on the stretch run. Um, it has not gone well. The Kings are very likely out of the playoff picture, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of things to keep watching for and seeing how this team starts to gel together. Um, so I'm actually excited to see how this thing ends um, because when one thing ends, another thing begins, and I think we're going to start seeing fireworks on the day after the season and start seeing massive changes coming and uh, kind of used to it. But uh, it, it will definitely make this offseason uh, interesting coming up. So uh, for Brennan Nunes from the King's Herald and the King's Pulse podcast, I am James Ham. Uh, we'll see you on Thursday. <laughs>